Welcome to Outside the Music Box. I'm Emma Williams. And I'm Chloe Prendergast. We're so glad you've joined us today. We're both violinists based in the Netherlands and have created this podcast as part of our search to find fun new ways to share and talk about music we love. Each episode, we explore a different piece of music through the eyes of a guest musician. Today's guest is Canadian violinist Julia Wedman, who I met about five years ago while at a summer program in Toronto, and she has been a close friend and mentor ever since. She's actually the one who originally suggested I move to the Netherlands to study. Today, she's brought a collection of pieces called the Mystery or Rosary Sonatas by 17th century Bohemian composer Heinrich Ignaz Franz von Bieber. We do our best to define the relevant musicy terms throughout the chat, but because this is our world and we're human, there might be things that we miss. So please let us know what these are, and we will be sure to clarify them in future episodes. And don't worry about trying to remember the pieces and recordings we talk about. They are in the show notes, along with a link to a Spotify playlist, so you can go back and listen to all the pieces from this podcast yourself. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy Bieber's Mystery Sonatas. There's my cutie. Yay! (laughs) On this podcast, we like having our guests introduce themselves. So can you introduce yourself? My name is Julia Wedman, and I am a violinist. I live in Toronto in Canada. And my main job is with the Tafel Music Baroque Orchestra. But I also really love chamber music. And I play with Eibler String Quartet and also the Ethereosi Baroque Ensemble. Um, and I also have lots of friends all over the world, and I love to travel and get a chance to play music with them and see them. So I often play in Montreal with a group called L'Harmonie des Saisons, and I play in London sometimes with the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment and the Academy of Ancient Music, and last year I went to Amsterdam for the first time to play with the orchestra of the 18th century and I've been to many places in the United States and Canada to play with different groups um, when I have a little bit of time off my main jobs which is not that often but I always have fun when I get to get out of town (laughs) you always have a lot of ideas on the back burner I do well you know I got a lot of projects that I want to do in this lifetime so when space opens up I just Add new projects. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for now, um, could you tell us what piece you brought in for us today? Uh, well, it's do I have to? Did I have to pick one piece, or can I pick a collection of pieces? You can p- pick a collection of pieces. Sure. I have brought. Um, I would say one of the greatest um, collections of music ever written for the violin and. Honestly, that's not an exaggeration, in my opinion. (laughs) I know it sounds like it, but it's really not. And it's the Bieber Mystery Sonatas, which um, made a big impact on my life at several different times and continues to do so. Um, It's just a very, very special piece of music and something that keeps coming up and up and up and up and something that I've taught a lot and performed a lot and recorded. You'll hear Julia talk more about this later, but for now, Bieber was a bohemian composer and violinist working in the late 17th century. He was a pioneer in pushing the limits of what kinds of sounds and techniques a violin can create. Um, And we want to talk both about uh, the piece and the background of the piece. You know a lot of things about it. Uh, You've done a lot of research. But also we want to hear about the uh, journey that you've had with it and your own life experiences with it. So I first found out about these pieces when I was um, studying at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana, for my master's degree. And... um, 
Well, that's a funny. Do you want the story about why I started studying broke violin? I do. I I just love this story. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I was playing in one of the modern orchestras and um, I needed to get out of that orchestra. Well, there are two reasons. One is that I'd sort of gotten together with my stand partner and it didn't go well. So then going to orchestra rehearsal was really awkward after that. So oops, there was that reason. And then one and actually three reasons. And then the second reason was that I didn't really like the music that we were playing. Um, And it was a really big orchestra. And I just wasn't having fun with the musical experience. And then one day, I think in November, the conductor was conducting away and very vigorously and he hit his conducting baton on the music stand and it flew in the air and hit me right underneath my eye and nearly took my eye out. Oh my God. And I said, that's it. I cannot be in this orchestra. Last straw. That was the last straw. This is a danger to my health. I have to get out of here. And one of my best friends was had been playing in the Baroque Orchestra at Indiana University. And all term, he'd been bugging me to come and quit my orchestra and join the Baroque Orchestra instead. And he's like, "Oh, we have so much more fun in Baroque Orchestra, and you'll love it." And you know, this last straw happened, and I said, <laughs> "Okay, forget it." So I went to the Baroque Orchestra concert. And on the stage, there was this, the most graceful little, um, tiny little white-haired Australian man, (laughs) Stanley Ritchie, (laughs) who led the orchestra. And he just danced around the stage and everybody looked like they were having the best time of their lives. And I was like, I need to get in there. They're having way more fun than I am right now. So I started studying um, Baroque violin with Stanley Ritchie. And the year before, I worked at a record store. And even when I was an undergrad, I listened to a lot of music. I would often go into the library and just search out music that I'd never heard before and um, listen to stuff. So one day I was hiding in the IU library, (laughs) listening to music, and I came across the Bieber mystery sonatas and I was just completely blown away by the music. And I marched into my lesson and I said, Stanley, from now on, I will only be playing the music of Heinrich Bieber. (laughs) (laughs) What did he say? He was like, Okay, I guess we better get started. <laughs> well, there's quite a lot of it to play. So <laughs> there's was a lot. He's like, all right. <laughs> so I got started on the D minor from the 1681 sonatas. For some background information, Bieber wrote two large collections of violin sonatas. The mystery sonatas follow the story of the life and death of Jesus, according to the Catholic Mysteries or Rosaries. His second book of sonatas, the 1681 book, is just a book of violin sonatas, without any programmatic story attached. But both collections are equally challenging and groundbreaking in their own ways. So I started I started playing and you know I think what struck me the most is is how incredible the music is and how I didn't know it at all and mm. I you know I worked at a record store and I just I knew such a huge body of music especially for the violin and I was you know you might be surprised to hear that I was a little bit obsessive about <laughs> learning violin oh. music no way <laughs> And um, I couldn't believe that I was like 
25 years old and had never, never even heard of this music mm. before. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was like, well, I, I need to make up for lost time. And I am now, <laughs> le- I will now be learning the complete works of Heinrich Huber. <laughs> Where does that go? That's amazing. How far did you get? Well, I just, I got through like that piece. I, and it, nearly killed me because yeah. it's so hard <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> but I played it on my end of the term recital good girl very good yeah. <laughs> and then then I shelved it the Bieber because it was too hard for me <laughs> it is hard yeah but then a few years later um a few years after I got my job in Tafel Music um so by this time, it was probably like 10 or 11 years after that, there was a project and Jean, our music director, wanted to have um, three violinists play each three of the mystery sonatas on um, a January concert for Taff Music. And so I was invited to play three of them. Um, and how many are there total? There are... 16 total. So 15 of the mystery sonatas are based on the a mystery of, of the rosary, which are the events in the life of Jesus and his mother, Mary. Um, and it goes through everything, like from the Annunciation, where the angel Gabriel tells Mary she's going to have a baby, to through the nativity, and all the way through all the events leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection and the last one is um, the coronation of Mary in heaven. And then there's one piece at the end, the 16th piece, um, which is kind of a reflection on that, which I can talk about a little bit later. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. So in Tafel music, I think I, ch- I tried to choose easy ones because mm-hmm. I'd never played in a scordatura before. Um, and before we get too much farther, can you quickly just define what scordatura is? Yes. So one of the, um, special features of these mystery sonatas is that 14 out of the pieces are played in tunings that are different from how we usually tune our violin. And scordatura literally means mistuning. So it's when you tune your strings to something other than the normal GDAE. So 14 out of these um, pieces are for these scordatura tunings, and they're all in a different one. And they're all in lots of different kinds of tunings. Um, And some of them are very simple, like the crucifixion, where you just tune the E string, your top string, down one tone to a D. So it's G, D, A, D. And then some of them, well, one of them is especially wacky because you actually have to change the D and the A string, the place that they um, live on the top of the bridge. So you flip where they are. So the A string goes where the D string is supposed to be and the D string goes where the A string is supposed to be. And you have this crazy tuning in octaves that is G, G, D, D. And it creates a cross. This is the resurrection number 11. It creates a cross behind the bridge um, and in the peg box. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can post a picture of that on our socials. Yeah. Maybe we can have a look. In the show notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and does that feel super weird to do? And is it scary to make that cross? I feel like I would be scared to move my strings around like that. Well, you have to make sure your bridge doesn't fall over and the bridge by the way is the little um the little light colored very decorative um bridge looking thing that is <laughs> goes underneath the strings of the violin that yeah it's not that big big of a deal <laughs> okay but the big deal is actually kind of relearning how to play your violin especially Um, At the very end of the piece, there's this little section that I think of as the prayer. And it's almost entirely double stops. That means playing two strings at a time. These two middle strings are now swapped. So it creates a big 
kind of learning curve for your brain because, you know, I've started playing the violin when I was four years old. So my arm is really used to doing a certain thing. But when you have swapped your strings, <laughs> that doesn't work anymore. No. Nope. <laughs> so, you, so it's extremely counterintuitive. And I, I don't know about other people playing this, but I have to concentrate so much to keep reminding my brain what it's supposed to be doing. But I think I also think that the um, these crossing of the strings actually is kind of a physical embodiment of um, the kind of mindset that Bieber wants us to be in. Do you mind if I do a, like a, a bit of backstory? I'm ready. Okay. Okay. We're ready for the backstory. <laughs> okay. So um, Bieber was Jesuit, and he was working in Salzburg for the archbishop at the time, Maximilian Gandalf, who was a member of this Rosary Confraternity, which is a group of people who get together basically to um, say the rosary. Um, and, you know, the place that this Rosary Confraternity met was just down the street from Bieber's house in Salzburg. So in, in the Jesuit tradition, um, there is something called the spiritual exercises and it's a kind it's kind of like meditation so it's basically when you are thinking about a story and each of these sonatas are based on different events and stories so when you're thinking about a story what what they want you to do is really try to put yourself in that story and so it is it's more than just talking about something or thinking about it. It's really trying to use all of your senses to put yourself in there. So if you're meditating on the crucifixion, for example, um, you would try to imagine what you would hear. You would imagine, you know, the, the noises of the crowd and even like the wind outside, you know, that you're hearing outside, you would imagine how you feel physically, like, is it late at night and you're cold? And so you use all of your senses to put yourself in this situation. And I think in with the resurrection sonata, this tuning, what it does is it changes your mindset what you used to think was true is now no longer true. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. And it seems like there's kind of um, a bit of a pattern because it, I mean, so you were saying before that the, the sonatas follow the, the story of the rosaries and mysteries from the Catholic church, and they're kind of divided into sort of three main sections. Um, and the tunings seem to kind of be, they go on a journey as well depending on the kind of characters of those sections. Maybe you can talk us through that a little bit as well. Yeah, they do. So the first the first five um, are the joyful mysteries. Um, and the first one starts in normal tuning. The Annunciation starts in normal tuning. And, and in a way that is also very symbolic of this journey because here we have Mary who's just a normal woman, young woman, um, who has this extraordinary experience. And I'm, you know, I'm sure we all have every once in a while an extraordinary experience, and then we are forever changed after that. So in a way, this is what happens mm. um, with our instrument too. We actually don't ever get to go back to that normal tuning that normality ever again um until the stories are completely finished yeah um so yeah so the first one starts in the normal tuning and some of the um some of the tunings in the joyful mysteries um really add brightness to the mm. violin and then in the middle section we have um the sorrowful mysteries and 
that begins with number six, the agony in the garden that I was talking about before. And it goes through um, the scourging, which is the whipping of Jesus and the crowning with thorns um, and the carrying of the cross, and then ends with the crucifixion. And these tunings, what happens with those um, is that the violin gets more and more tense. The the lower strings, especially going into number eight, the crowning with thorn, the lower string, lowest string G is ex- actually tuned up a whole perfect fifth, which is a lot on a violin. The instrument is so tense. Um, and actually the affect, which is the character of the piece, um, is also not pleasant and it's very difficult and very awkward. Um hmm. I think it's one of the most difficult pieces um, emotionally as well as uh, physically uh, for the violin. And then the interesting thing when you play them in a row is that the crucifixion, which is almost a normal tuning, becomes actually a release in that context because all of a sudden the low strings get to drop down to normal so that you have actually a kind of a resonance and a release And then the in the glorious mysteries, then you get all sorts of wacky and crazy too. <laughs> um, Eleven is the resurrection, which we just talked about. is the the ascension of Jesus in which he wants you to sound like a trumpet. It's really fun. You get to play lots of open strings and be really bombastic. It's very fun. And then the Pentecost number 13, I don't know. I find the Pentecost in a way kind of one of the most mystical of the pieces. And the number 14 is the Assumption of Mary into Heaven. And this piece is one of the most fun pieces to play of the whole collection. It's kind of like the hoedown. It's like the angels hoedown <laughs> a little bit. And it's one of my favorite pieces. Maybe the one, one of the ones that I've played the most and people yeah. always love. And it has also one of these amazing, amazing introductions. So what one of the things Bieber is so incredible at is writing down the um, 
a kind of improvisatory introduction to a piece. And it's one of the things that is incredibly flattering for a violinist to play because it makes you sound like you're just um, making up all these incredible magical things, but it's actually (laughs) written down for you. And then the very last one, the coronation of Mary, there's such a kind of comforting and warm and gentle feeling to this coronation of Mary. It's also just one of the most beautiful pieces. It just feels so good to play that piece. Mm. Yeah. And then it ends with something else, yeah? Yeah, and then, the, so that's the end of the mysteries part of this collection. And then the last piece um, is a very, very, very special piece in, I think, maybe all of music. This is a Passacaglia for solo violin. Uh, and this piece is now not in Scordatura. So which means we we tune our violin back to normal. So we're back to normal. And the the way I always feel about this piece is that I don't know if you've gone to a summer camp or something like that. You know, where you go away to camp and you go through this experience and sometimes it can be this like really life-changing experience. And then you get on the plane to go home and you're left alone and you don't have any of these people with you anymore and you're just left to yourself. And for me, that's what the Pasacalia is like. And all of a sudden, it's just me alone. I've been through this huge um, life-changing experience and now I'm like, well, what do I do with myself? And now it's just alone and I think it can be a very scary feeling and a very unsettling feeling Mm. um, that now we have to get used to this new um, kind of version of ourselves. Mm. And then we start looking at ourselves. And sometimes when we look at ourselves very carefully, we don't always like what we see. (laughs) (laughs) And this piece, the only surviving um, edition we have is this manuscript edition of it, which is, has a copper plate engraving of each of the mysteries, like a picture, a little picture at the beginning of each of the mysteries. And this Pasacalia at the end has a picture of an angel holding the hand of a child. And this, you'll also hear this piece known as the guardian angel. And I always think the structure of the Pasacalia is like a guardian angel. So the structure of the piece is that you have four notes um, repeating that go over and over and over. And you keep hearing these four notes over and over and over. And like our guardian angels, sometimes you notice they're there and sometimes you don't. This is a piece where the violinist can see all of the big emotions inside us. And sometimes it feels quite vulnerable to play a piece like that 
in front of other people. In fact, when I was recording this music, um, at the time I recorded it, I was playing the piece alone in this big church and the recording engineer and the producers were in the little side room. So I actually couldn't even see them at all. So mm -hmm. I, and it was the only piece because it's the only solo piece on the album. It was the only piece that I was completely alone in the church and on the recording, a lot of it, almost all of it is from one take. And right before I went to edit this CD, I went through um, a big life-changing, life-altering event in my life, which was the breakup of um, me with uh, my long-term partner. So that had happened like I think like just days before I went to Washington to ed do the final edits on this CD. And when I was in the studio listening to this Pasacalia, I said to my producer, we can't put this on the CD. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> what do you mean we can't? What do you mean we can't put this on the CD? This is the most famous piece on this album we have to put this on the CD you can't put out the album without the Pasacalia on it like nope we're not putting it on we can't I can't do it because what it felt like was um to me it feels like I'm writing in my journal and all of a sudden we're gonna um you know publicize that put out my publicize yeah. my journal for the entire world and I'm like I am not in the right headspace to publish my journal right now <laughs> but we put it out there <laughs> and yeah. I just didn't listen to it for a long yeah. long, long time yeah 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 but yeah did you record did you record the Pascalia at the end also, like, was it the last thing you recorded or was it somewhere else in the recording session? You know, I actually recorded the Pasacalia twice. So I had two recording sessions. One was, I think, in like the end of April because there we had a lot of problems with construction. Oh, yeah. I think they were having problems editing it because of the construction. And they said, do you think yeah. you can just do a few more takes of this because we're having problems working around the noise hmm. so I said okay sure I'll do a few takes and one of them was particularly good in that session second session so we just ended up using that one hmm. yeah. yeah okay and did you record them the rest of them in order as well or was no it, no not, yeah. at all. not at all and I don't remember now what the order was, but it was something that was like carefully worked out. I yeah. actually don't think they were meant to be performed all in a row by one person. I really don't. I think mm. I think these are pieces that are a much more of a much more intimate nature. And mm -hmm. my ideal performance actually of these would be one a day with a whole bunch of readings and and like a discussion on each of the elements mm, like a yeah like a wow. real meditation on each of like them like a real meditation yeah. on each of them mm, yeah so you could have like a two week retreat yeah that's right <laughs> a meditation retreat <laughs> great yeah you go in the mountains that's right hikes yeah are you in Salzburg? <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so if somebody is listening and they want to sort of start exploring these pieces how would you recommend they go about beginning to yeah learn and explore this work I would just go in order yeah, yeah I have a lot of people that I know who have talked to me about it and they they'll just put it on and the first time they just started 
listening. They listened to the entire thing. Yeah. In one day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I had actually, I had a friend um, several years ago who was going through a divorce and her daughter was, I think three or four at the time. And every morning they would put on the Bieber CD. There's something that was like just really calming. And her daughter every day, that's all she wanted to listen to. Like, play the Julie music. Play the Julie music. (laughs) Every day they would listen to it. That's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot Um, of sense though. I mean, this kind of music is is incredibly affecting. and, And I mean, when I was, you know, I've been listening to it over the last couple of days as well. And, um, I mean, I'm not religious. I don't pretend to be very spiritual at all. But yeah. whenever I hear Bieber and especially these sonatas, I I do feel like some sort of spiritual connection that is sort of created by this music. It it really makes you feel a lot, <laughs> a lot of connection yeah. to sort of everything. Yeah, I'm not a religious person either, but I think the point of this music is to get us in touch with ourselves and Mm. to to me that in a way is the point of spirituality as well is that it gets us connected to the things that matter the most to us and that mean the most to us and that's what this music does You've done a lot of research on Bieber. Do you, what do you think he was like as a human? Uh, well, I think, you know, I think he must have been just the most creative, interesting person. Because, and I often wonder, like, how, what's his, I, he's one of the people, you know, when they say, what, who are the people you'd like to have over oh, for yeah. dinner? <laughs> You know, which dead people would you like to have over for dinner? (laughs) You know, he's definitely one of the people that I'd like to have a conversation with because I often think what is the, what is his process for composition? And I think he must have been, you know, incredibly creative um, and kind of a fearless violinist as well, Mm, I think, because he, you know, he, he does all these crazy things that other composers were just not doing Mm -mm. at the time. And, you know, it was kind of trendy to um, be working in scordaturas in different tunings at that time. And other instruments were doing it and nothing even to this day that is as extensive and as well thought out. It's not only that he was just, uh, you know, a creative virtuoso, but he was also, um, a very deep, deeply felt person. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I just, I imagine he, we would have been best friends. Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny those, you know, I think, I don't know if you guys find it, but as a musician, sometimes you come across music that you feel like was written for you personally. And it was just mm. like sitting in a, you know, in an attic, just waiting for you to play it. Yeah. <laughs> Finally found you. Yeah. And this is, this music is um, one of those for me. And every, every time I go back t- to it, I just l- love playing it. And I love reconnecting mm. with Bieber. And there's always more to find in the music. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I, I'd love to go back to your story with the piece as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So then a couple of years after I first played them, um, I was invited to do a solo album for this record label. And they said, what about the Bieber Mystery Sonatas? Hmm. And I said, are you crazy? <laughs> do you know how hard these pieces <laughs> <Yeah>. are? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> But I had loved the experience of working on them 
at Tafel Music so much. It really was one of the highlights of my first five years in mm. that job. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is my opportunity. This is my, you know, nobody else is knocking down my door to give me a solo recording <laughs> and they want me to do this piece. So I guess I'll just say yes and figure mm -hmm. it out, which is a bit of an MO for my life, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody asks me to do something, I just say yes and figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> And I guess with these um, sonatas as well, the um, well, we know that you've you used different basso continuo teams, so different instruments that played the bass lines for the different sonatas. Maybe you can talk us through that as well and how that helped shape the recordings of these sonatas as well. Yeah, well, I you know when I was doing prepping for this, I listened to a lot of other recordings, and it just it really struck me that different orchestrations of the continuous so different um teams continual yeah. teams uh, made up of different kinds of people could really enhance the feel of the music more mm. the nativity is maybe one of the more unusual pieces in this collection so usually when we think about christmas we think of good times and joyful times and, you know, and it is part of the joyful mysteries. It's number three, but the piece itself is not what you would imagine as this like happy, joyful Christmas carol. Like it does not sound like a Christmas carol at all. Mm. So when I first started playing it, <laughs> I was like, Oh man, I don't get this piece at all. This is not Christmassy. And mm. then uh, the year before I recorded it, I ended up going to Salzburg on a little field trip. And this is another example of me just going like, I'm just going to do this and see what happens. <laughs> and a, a friend of mine, she had written a paper um, and it really gave me a lot of food for thought. It's a wonderful paper. And she started talking about these mystery sonata paintings which I had not heard about and she had never seen. And they're not on the internet. Like you can't um, access them really. And I'm like, what mystery sonata paintings? And she's like, they're in Salzburg. Aren't you going to Germany later in the summer? Can't you just go over to Salzburg and see these paintings? And, you know, I said, sure, <laughs> sure I can. <laughs> I'm like, what do we know about these paintings? She's like, well, all I know is that they're in a room called the Aula Academica at the, in this building called the Grossa Aula at the University of Salzburg. So I was like, okay, fine. Booked my train ticket and I went to go stay in Salzburg. And I, I don't know Salzburg at all, but um, <laughs> all I, you know, I been I think I'd been there before and I'd seen the Mozart house and so that was the only like street I knew so I found a little um hotel right down the street from the Mozart house because you know I like to be <laughs> near my friends when I travel so um so I go to the um hotel room the first day I get there and I was talking to the concierge and I was like do you know anything have you heard about this building Grossa Aula and he's like yeah it's just like one block that way Amazing. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I had no idea where it was. So it was just right near me. Yeah. <laughs> and I went into this building and it was the summertime. It was like beginning of September. So school hadn't really started yet. And there was no one around. And I was snooping around this building that said it was Grossa Alla. I was like going upstairs and going all over the place. And all of a sudden I saw this like beautiful sign that said, Aula Academica. And I was like, oh my God, I found the Aula Academica. <laughs> and of course I opened, tried to open the door and it was locked. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I got to get in there. So I snooped around more and found an office with a bunch of people, which ended up being the theology office. And the person, the secretary there was not the greatest at English, but somehow, and I don't speak German. So but somehow I managed to convey that I'm a violinist and I have to get into this room. <laughs> so she called this guy Ziggy, the housemeister. So kind of like the janitor. And Ziggy, Ziggy came. Yeah. Ziggy came and let me into this room. 
And in the Ala Academica, there are these large scale, there are 15 large scale paintings of the mysteries of the rosary. And Bieber's house is actually just down the street from Mozart's house. So he just lived a few blocks down the street. And the um, the archbishop that the sonatas were dedicated to, his rosary confraternity met in this building. So there's no question in my mind that Bieber knew these paintings. And so they let me stay in the room like taking pictures and stuff for, you know, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes. And then he came back. And as I was in the room, my camera ran out of batteries. So I started freaking out. And I was like, Ziggy, my cameras ran out of batteries. And I, (laughs) I have to, I have to be in here again tomorrow. And he was like, Okay. So he let me come back, which I'd stay the next day for probably about four hours before he kicked wow. me. And, and I was like, I need to bring my violin tomorrow. He's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I brought my violin. Actually, that was the only time that I've played through all of the sonatas in a row. Mm-hmm. And I played each sonata in front of the painting and studied the painting and thought about it and, you know, played stuff. And the nativity was the one of the first ones that was the kind of shocker because the nativity painting is almost entirely black. Hmm. And it's all black except for um, a couple of spots of light. And so suddenly I was like, hmm, okay, B minor, all black. Mm-hmm. Makes is starting to make more sense. And then as I started learning more about um, the rosary and the rosary confraternities. There are some um, like rosary psalters, which is like a prayer book. And actually, if you're interested in it, um, there's a wonderful violinist named Pablo Beznoziuk, and his recording has some readings from the rosary psalters mm. in that. And they are also very um, enlightening. Uh, but if you when you start reading the um, text from the time, they, the way they talk about the nativity is not all sweetness and light. They talk about it in a more kind of realistic way, as in what must it have been really for somebody who had to have a baby in the middle of the night in a place that was so far from her home where she was not surrounded by loved ones. She's by herself with her husband who God knows if he knows anything about delivering (laughs) babies. And in this like dark, dirty place in the middle of nowhere. And that could not have been an easy experience. Hmm. And then all of a sudden the nativity started to make sense to me. So I know this is a long answer to a short question, but (laughs) the orchestration for the nativity, what I decided to do for the nativity was just have Felix on Gamba and me so that you get this idea of the loneliness that there's only two people there. Mm. Mm. Um, We could talk yeah, forever about this interview, but I think we have to kind of wrap it up. But thank you so much for taking us on this journey through these incredible pieces. Um, we have one final question um, yeah. that we ask everyone. Uh, is there a piece from another instrument's repertoire that you're jealous of? Is there a piece? Yeah. I would say the Bach cello suites. Mm-hmm. And I have tried playing them on the violin. And what I'm missing is the sound of the cello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really just not the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's the one piece that I'm like, give me a cello and let me add these pieces. <laughs> that's being added yeah. to the backburner ideas, learning cello. Yes. Well, that's, you know, that's on the retirement list. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, with the um, Gamba consorts. Yes. yes. We've already talked about this in terms yes. of a retirement um, yes. plan is being a Gamba consort. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. <laughs> Such life goals. That's right. <laughs> and if 
if our listeners want to support you, what's the best way to find you and what's the best way for them to find and purchase your album of these mystery sonatas? You can do everything on my new fancy new website, which is one of the things that I've been working on in COVID. It's just www.juliawedman.com. And everything is on there. There's links to all my CDs that you can buy. There's a, um, there's on the, on the learning page, if you want to look at the music, there's a link to Bieber's The Score that's on um, online. Um, and there's all sorts of fun things on my website that you can <laughs> per- peruse. If you want to see the paintings, you have to buy the CD. And there are s- small reproductions mm. of all of them in the CD. Or better, go to Salzburg yourself. And go at the Ala Academica. Um, go find Ziggy. Plan it or like plan your trip a bit better than I did, maybe. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but they they are. You can at least see them a little bit in okay. if you actually purchase yeah. the CD. They're inside. Okay. Always good to purchase the CD. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks so much for tuning in to Outside the Music Box. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Julia Wedman. If so, please rate and review this podcast and tell all your friends about it. It really makes a difference in the algorithm of the internet magic and helps our visibility. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any questions or want to share music that you love, you can write to us at concerts.musicbox at gmail.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Music Box Concerts. Write in with comments or questions and we'll get back to you. In the show notes, we've included links to three Spotify playlists, one specifically for the pieces in this episode and the others for all the pieces we've talked about on this podcast so far. However, we really encourage you to purchase music in order to support the artists. The best way to support Julia is going to juliawedman.com, where you can find her recordings and lots of other fun stuff. See you next time outside the music box. Music box.